0: section two of the arabian nights entertainments by anonymous the story told by the christian merchant this librivox recording is in the public domain sir before i commence the recital of the story you have permitted me to relate i beg leave to acquaint you that i have not the honour to be born in any part of your majesty's empire i am a stranger born at cairo in egypt a copt by nation and by religion a christian my father was a broker and realized considerable property which he left me at his death i followed his example and pursued the same employment while i was standing in the public inn frequented by the corn merchants there came up to me a handsome young man well dressed and mounted on an ass he saluted me and pulling out a handkerchief, in which he had a sample of sesame or turkey corn, asked me how much a bushel of such sesame would fetch. I examined the corn the young man showed me, and told him it was worth a hundred dirhams of silver per bushel. Pray, said he, look out for some merchant to take it at that price, and come to me at the victory gate, where you will see a khan at a distance from the houses." So saying he left me the sample, and I showed it to several merchants who told me that they would take as much as I could spare at a hundred and ten dirhams per bushel, so that I reckoned on getting ten dirhams per bushel for my commission. Full of the expectation of this profit, I went to the victory gate, where I found the young merchant expecting me, and he took me into his granary, which was full of sesame. He had then a hundred and fifty bushels, which I measured out, and, having carried them off upon asses, sold them for five thousand dirhams of silver. Out of this sum, said the young man, there are five hundred dirhams coming to you, at the rate of ten dirhams per bushel. This I give you, and as for the rest, which pertains to me, take it out of the merchant's hands, and keep it till I call or send for it, for I have no occasion for it at present. I answered it should be ready for him whenever he pleased to demand it, and so, kissing his hand, took leave of him with a grateful sense of his generosity. A month passed before he came near me. Then he asked for the sum he had committed to my trust. I told him it was ready and should be counted to him immediately. "'He was mounted on his ass, and I desired him to alight "'and do me the honour to eat a mouthful with me "'before he received his money. "'No,' said he, "'I cannot alight at present. "'I have urgent business that obliges me to be at a place just by. "'But I will return this way, "'and then take the money which I desired you would have in readiness.' "'This said, he disappeared, and I still expected his return. "'But it was a full month before I saw him again.' This young merchant, thought I, has great confidence in me, leaving so great a sum in my hands without knowing me. Any other man would have been afraid I should have run away with it. To be short, he came again at the end of the third month, and was still mounted on his ass, but more handsomely dressed than before. As soon as I saw the young man, I entreated him to alight and asked him if he would not take his money there is no hurry said he with a pleasant easy air i know it is in good hands i will come and take it when my other money is all gone adieu continued he i will return towards the end of the week with that he struck the ass and soon disappeared well thought i he says he will see me towards the end of the week but he may not perhaps return for a great while i will make the most i can of his money "'which may bring me much profit.' "'As it happened, I was not deceived in my conjecture, "'for it was a full year before I saw my young merchant again. "'He then appeared as richly apparelled as before, "'but seemed to have something on his spirits. "'I asked him to do me the honour to walk into my house. "'For this time,' replied he, "'I will.' "'but on this condition that you shall put yourself "'to no extraordinary charge on my account.' "'I will do just as you please,' said I, "'only do me the favour to alight and walk in.' "'Accordingly he complied. "'I gave orders to have a repast prepared, "'and while this was doing we entered into conversation. "'All things being ready we sat down. "'I observed he took the first mouthful with his left hand.' and not with the right i was at a loss what to think of this ever since i have known this young man said i inwardly he has always appeared very polite is it possible he can do this out of contempt what can be the reason he does not use his right hand after we had done eating and everything was taken away we sat upon a sofa and i presented him with a lozenge by way of dainty but still he took it with his left hand. I said to him, Pardon, sir, the liberty I take in asking you what reason you have for not using your right hand. Perhaps you have some complaint in that hand. Instead of answering, he heaved a deep sigh, and pulling out his right arm, which he had hitherto kept under his vest, showed me, to my great astonishment, that it had been cut off. "'Doubtless you were displeased,' said he, "'to see me feed myself with the left hand, "'but I leave you to judge "'whether it was in my power to do otherwise.' "'May one ask,' said I, "'by what mischance you lost your right hand?' "'Upon that he burst into tears, "'and after wiping his eyes, "'gave me the following relation. "'You must know that I am a native of Baghdad,' the son of a rich merchant the most eminent in that city for rank and opulence i had scarcely launched into the world when falling into the company of travellers and hearing their wonderful accounts of egypt especially of grand cairo i was interested by their discourse and felt a strong desire to travel but my father was then alive and would not grant me permission at length he died and being then my own master, I resolved to take a journey to Cairo. I laid out a large sum of money in the purchase of several sorts of fine stuffs of Baghdad and Musul, and departed. Arriving at Cairo, I went to the Khan, called the Khan of Mesrur, and there took lodgings, with a warehouse for my bales, which I had brought with me upon camels. This done, I retired to my chamber to rest after the fatigue of my journey, and gave some money to my servants, with orders to buy some provisions and dress them. After I had eaten, I went to view the castle, some mosques, the public squares, and the other most remarkable places. Next day, I dressed myself and ordered some of the finest and richest of my bales to be selected, and carried by my slaves to the Circassian Bazaar whither I followed. I had no sooner made my appearance than I was surrounded with brokers and criers who had heard of my arrival. I gave patterns of my stuffs to several of the criers who showed them all over the bazaar, but none of the merchants offered near so much as prime cost and carriage. This vexed me, and the criers, observing I was dissatisfied, said, if you will take our advice, we will put you in a way to sell your goods without loss. The brokers and the criers, having thus promised to put me in a way of losing nothing by my goods, I asked them what course they would have me pursue. Divide your goods, said they, among several merchants. They will sell them by retail, and twice a week, that is on Mondays and Thursdays, you may receive what money they may have taken." By this means, instead of losing, you will turn your goods to advantage, and the merchants will gain by you. In the meanwhile, you will have time to take your pleasure about the town, or go upon the Nile. I took their advice, and conducted them to my warehouse. From whence I brought all my goods to the bazaar, and there divided them among the merchants, whom they represented as most reputable and able to pay and the merchants gave me a formal receipt before witnesses, stipulating that I should not be making any demands upon them for the first month. Having thus regulated my affairs, my mind was occupied with ordinary pleasures. I contracted acquaintance with diverse persons of nearly the same age with myself, which made the time pass agreeably. After the first month had expired, I began to visit my merchants twice a week, taking with me a public officer to inspect their books of sale and a banker to see that they paid me in good money and to regulate the value of the several coins. Every pay day I had a good sum of money to carry home to my lodging at the Khan of Mesrur. I went on other days to pass the morning sometimes at one merchant's house and sometimes at that of another. In short, I amused myself in conversing with them and seeing what passed in the bazaar one monday as i was sitting in a merchant's shop whose name was Buddir ad-deen a lady of quality as might easily be perceived by her air her apparel and by a well-dressed slave attending her came into the shop and sat down by me her external appearance joined to a natural grace that shone in all her actions prepossessed me in her favour and inspired me with a desire to be better acquainted with her. I know not whether she observed that I took pleasure in gazing on her, and whether this attention on my part was not agreeable to her, but she let down the crepe that hung over the muslin which covered her face, and gave me the opportunity of seeing her large black eyes, which perfectly charmed me. In fine, she inflamed my love to the height by the agreeable sound of her voice her graceful carriage in saluting the merchant and asking him how he did since she had seen him last after conversing with him some time upon indifferent subjects she gave him to understand that she wanted a particular kind of stuff with a gold ground that she came to his shop as affording the best choice of any in all the bazaar and that if he had any such as she asked for "'he would oblige her in showing them. "'Buddhya ad Deen produced several pieces, "'one of which she pitched upon, "'and he asked for it eleven hundred dirhams of silver. "'I will,' said she, "'give you your price for it, "'but I have not money enough about me, "'so I hope you will give me credit till to-morrow, "'and in the meantime allow me to carry home the stuff. "'I shall not fail,' added she, to send you to-morrow the eleven hundred dirhams madam said buddhir ad deen i would give you credit with all my heart if the stuff were mine but it belongs to the young man you see here and this is the day on which we settle our accounts why said the lady in surprise do you use me so am not i a customer to your shop and when i have bought of you and carried home the things without paying ready money for them did I in any instance fail to send you your money next morning? Madam, said the merchant, all this is true, but this very day I have occasion for the money. There, said she, throwing the stuff to him, take your stuff. I care not for you nor any of the merchants. You are all alike. You respect no one. As she spoke, she rose up in anger and walked out. When I saw that the lady walked away, I felt interested on her behalf, and called her back, saying, ''Madam, do me the favour to return. Perhaps I can find a way to satisfy you both.'' She returned, saying it was on my account that she complied. "Budir ad deen said I to the merchant, ''what is the price you must have for this stuff that belongs to me?'' I must have, replied he, eleven hundred dirhams. I cannot take less. Give it to the lady then, said I. Let her take it home with her. I allow a hundred dirhams profit to yourself and shall now write you a note empowering you to deduct that sum upon the produce of the other goods you have of mine. In fine I wrote, signed and gave him the note and then delivered the stuff to the lady. Madam, said I, you may take the stuff with you. And, as for the money, you may either send it tomorrow or the next day, or, if you will, accept it as a present from me. Pardon me, returned she, I mean no such thing. You treat me with so much politeness that I should be unworthy to appear in the world again were I to omit making you my best acknowledgements. May God reward you by an increase of your fortune. May you live many years after I am dead. May the gate of paradise be open to you when you remove to the other world, and may all the city proclaim your generosity. These words inspired me with some assurance. Madam, I replied, I desire no other reward for the service I have done you than the happiness of seeing your face, which will repay me with interest. I had no sooner spoken THEN SHE TURNED TOWARDS ME, TOOK OFF HER VEIL, AND DISCOVERED TO ME A WONDERFUL BEAUTY. I BECAME SPEECHLESS WITH ADMIRATION. I COULD HAVE GAZED UPON HER FOREVER, BUT FEARING ANYONE SHOULD OBSERVE HER, SHE QUICKLY COVERED HER FACE, AND, LETTING DOWN THE CREPE, TOOK UP THE PIECE OF STUFF AND WENT AWAY, LEAVING ME IN A VERY DIFFERENT STATE OF MIND FROM THAT IN WHICH I HAD ENTERED THE SHOP i continued for some time in great confusion and perplexity before i took leave of the merchant i asked him if he knew the lady yes said he she is the daughter of an emir i went back to the khan of Ruhr and sat down to supper but could not eat neither could i shut my eyes all the night which seemed the longest in my life as soon as it was day i arose in hopes of once more beholding the object that disturbed my repose, and to engage her affection, I dressed myself much richer than I had done the day before. I had but just reached Budir ad Deen's shop when I saw the lady coming in more magnificent apparel than before and attended by her slave. When she entered, she did not regard the merchant, but addressing herself to me said, "'Sir, you see, I am punctual to my word. "'I am come for the express purpose of paying the sum "'you were so kind as to pass your word for yesterday, "'though you had no knowledge of me. "'Such uncommon generosity I shall never forget.' "'Madam,' said I, "'you had no occasion to be in such haste. "'I was well satisfied as to my money, "'and am sorry you should put yourself to so much trouble.' I had been very unjust, answered she, if I had abused your generosity. With these words, she put the money into my hand and sat down by me. Having this opportunity of conversing with her, I determined to improve it and mention to her the love I had for her. But she rose and left me very abruptly, as if she had been angry with the declaration I had made. I followed her with my eyes as long as she continued in sight, then, taking leave of the merchant, walked out of the bazaar without knowing where I went. I was musing on this adventure when I felt somebody pulling me behind, and turning to see who it was, I was agreeably surprised to perceive it was the lady's slave. "'My mistress,' said she, "'I mean the young lady you spoke to in the merchant's shop "'wants to speak with you,' "'if you please to give yourself the trouble to follow me.' "'Accordingly I followed her "'and found her mistress sitting waiting for me in a banker's shop. "'She made me sit down by her and spoke to this purpose. "'Do not be surprised that I left you so abruptly. "'I thought it not proper before that merchant "'to give a favourable answer to the discovery you made "'of your affection for me, but to speak the truth.' I was so far from being offended at it that it gave me pleasure and I account myself infinitely happy in having a man of your merit for my lover. I do not know what impression the first sight of me may have made on you, but I assure you I had no sooner beheld you than I found my heart moved with the tenderest emotions of love. Since yesterday I have done nothing but think of what you said to me. And my eagerness to seek you this morning may convince you of my regard. Madam, I replied, transported with love and joy. Nothing can be more agreeable to me than this declaration. No passion can exceed that with which I love you. My eyes were dazzled with so many charms that my heart yielded without resistance let us not trifle away the time in needless discourse said she interrupting me make no doubt of your sincerity and you shall quickly be convinced of mine will you do me the honour to come to my residence or if you will i will go to yours madam i returned i am a stranger lodged in a khan which is not the proper place for the reception of a lady of your quality it is more proper, madam, that I should visit you at your house. Have the goodness to tell me where it is. The lady consented. Come, said she, on Friday, which is the day after to-morrow, afternoon prayers, and ask for the house of Abon Sharma, surnamed Bercourt, late master of the emirs. There you will find me. This said we parted. "'and I passed the next day in great impatience. "'On Friday I put on my richest apparel "'and took fifty pieces of gold in my purse. "'I mounted an ass I had bespoken the day before "'and set out accompanied by the man who let me the ass. "'I directed the owner of the ass "'to inquire for the house I wanted. "'He found it and conducted me thither. "'I paid him liberally.' directing him to observe narrowly where he left me and not to fail to return next morning with the ass to carry me again to the khan of mesrour i knocked at the door and presently two little female slaves white as snow and neatly dressed came and opened it be pleased to come in sir said they our mistress expects you impatiently these two days she has talked of nothing but you i entered the court and saw a pavilion raised seven steps and surrounded with iron rails that parted it from a very pleasant garden besides the trees which only embellished the place and formed an agreeable shade there was an infinite number of others loaded with all sorts of fruit i was charmed with the warbling of a great number of birds that joined their notes to the murmurings of a fountain in the middle of a parterre enamelled with flowers. This fountain formed a very agreeable object. Four large gilded dragons at the angles of the basin, which was of a square form, spouted out water clearer than rock crystal. This delicious place gave me a charming idea of the conquest I had made. The two little slaves conducted me into a saloon magnificently furnished and while one of them went to acquaint her mistress with my arrival the other tarried with me and pointed out to me the beauties of the hall i did not wait long in the hall ere the lady i loved appeared adorned with pearls and diamonds but the splendour of her eyes far outshone that of her jewels her shape which was now not disguised by the habit she wore in the city appeared the most slender and delicate i need not mention with what joy we met once more it far exceeded all expression when the first compliments were over we sat down upon a sofa and there conversed together with the highest satisfaction we had the most delicious refreshments served up to us and after eating continued our conversation till night we then had excellent wine brought up and fruit adapted to promote drinking and timed our cups to the sound of musical instruments joined to the voices of the slaves. The lady of the house sung herself and by her songs raised my passion to the height. In short, I passed the night in full enjoyment. Next morning, I slipped under the bolster of the bed the purse with the fifty pieces of gold i had brought with me and took leave of the lady who asked me when i would see her again madam said i i give you my promise to return this night she seemed to be transported with my answer and conducting me to the door conjured me at parting to be mindful of my promise the same man who had carried me thither waited for me with his ass which i mounted and went directly to the khan, ordering the man to come to me again in the afternoon at a certain hour, to secure which I deferred paying him till that time came. As soon as I arrived at my lodging, my first care was to order my people to buy a lamb and several sorts of cakes, which I sent by a porter as a present to the lady. When that was done, I attended to my business till the owner of the ass arrived. I then went along with him to the lady's house, and was received by her with as much joy as before, and entertained with equal magnificence. Next morning I took leave, left her another purse with fifty pieces of gold, and returned to my khan. I continued to visit the lady every day, and to leave her every time a purse with fifty pieces of gold, till the merchants whom I employed to sell my goods and whom I visited regularly twice a week, had paid me the whole amount of my goods, and, in short, I came at last to be moneyless and hopeless of having any more. In this forlorn condition I walked out of my lodging, not knowing what course to take, and by chance went towards the castle, where there was a great crowd to witness a spectacle given by the Sultan of Egypt as soon as i came up i wedged in among the crowd and by chance happened to stand by a horseman well mounted and handsomely clothed who had upon the pommel of his saddle a bag half open with a string of green silk hanging out of it i clapped my hand to the bag concluding the silk twist might be the string of a purse within in the meantime a porter with a load of wood upon his back passed by on the other side of the horse so near that the rider was forced to turn his head towards him to avoid being hurt or having his clothes torn by the wood in that moment the devil tempted me i took the string in one hand and with the other pulled out the purse so dexterously that nobody perceived me the purse was heavy and i did not doubt but it contained gold or silver as soon as the porter had passed, the horseman, who probably had some suspicion of what I had done while his head was turned, presently put his hand to his bag, and finding his purse was gone, gave me such a blow that he knocked me down. This violence shocked all who saw it. Some took hold of the horse's bridle to stop the gentleman, and asked him what reason he had to strike me, or how he came to treat a Mussulman so rudely. "'Do not you trouble yourselves,' said he briskly. "'I had reason for what I did. This fellow is a thief.' At these words I started up, and from my appearance everyone took my part, and cried out he was a liar, for that it was incredible a young man such as I was should be guilty of so base an action.' but while they were holding his horse by the bridle to favour my escape unfortunately passed by the judge who seeing such a crowd about the gentleman on horseback came up and asked what the matter was everybody present reflected on the gentleman for treating me so unjustly upon the presence of robbery the judge did not give ear to all that was said but asked the cavalier if he suspected anybody else beside me the cavalier told him he did not, and gave his reasons why he believed his suspicions not to be groundless. Upon this the judge ordered his followers to seize me, which they presently did, and, finding the purse upon me, exposed it to the view of all the people. The disgrace was so great I could not bear it, and I swooned away. In the meantime the judge called for the purse. When the judge had got the purse in his hand, he asked the horseman if it was his, and how much money it contained. The cavalier knew it to be his own, and assured the judge he had put twenty sequins into it, upon which the judge called me before him. "'Come, young man,' said he, "'confess the truth. Was it you that took the gentleman's purse from him? Do not wait for the torture to extort confession.' Then, with downcast eyes thinking that if I denied the fact, they, having found the purse upon me, would convict me of a lie. To avoid a double punishment, I looked up and confessed my guilt. I had no sooner made the confession than the judge called people to witness it and ordered my hand to be cut off. This sentence was immediately put in execution to the great regret of all the spectators, "'Nay, I observed by the cavalier's countenance "'that he was moved with pity as much as the rest. "'The judge would likewise have ordered my foot to be cut off, "'but I begged the cavalier to intercede for my pardon, "'which he did, and obtained it. "'When the judge was gone, the cavalier came up to me, "'and, holding out the purse, said, "'I see plainly that necessity drove you "'to an action so disgraceful and unworthy "'of such a young man as you appear. "'Here, take that fatal purse. "'I freely give it to you, "'and am heartily sorry for the misfortune you have undergone.' "'Having thus spoken, he went away. "'Being very weak by loss of blood, "'some of the good people of the neighbourhood "'had the kindness to carry me into a house "'and give me a glass of cordial.' They likewise dressed my arm, and wrapped up the dismembered hand in a cloth which I carried away with me fastened to my girdle. Had I returned to the Khan of Mesrur in this melancholy condition, I should not have found there such relief as I wanted, and to offer to go to the young lady was running a great hazard, it being likely she would not look upon me after being informed of my disgrace i resolved however to put her to the trial and to tire out the crowd that followed me i turned down several by-streets and at last arrived at the lady's house very weak and so much fatigued that i presently threw myself down upon a sofa keeping my right arm under my garment for i took great care to conceal my misfortune in the meantime the lady hearing of my arrival and that I was not well, came to me in haste, and seeing me pale and dejected, said, My dear love, what is the matter with you? Madam, I replied dissembling, I have a violent pain in my head. The lady seemed to be much concerned, and asked me to sit down, for I had arisen to receive her. Tell me, said she, how your illness was occasioned. The last time I had the pleasure to see you, you were very well. There must be something that you conceal from me. Let me know what it is. I stood silent, and instead of an answer, tears trickled down my cheeks. I cannot conceive, resumed she, what it is that afflicts you. Have I unthinkingly given you any occasion of uneasiness, or do you come on purpose to tell me you no longer love me? ''It is not that, madam,'' said I, heaving a deep sigh, ''your unjust suspicion adds to my misfortune.'' I could not think of discovering to her the true cause. When night came, supper was brought, and she pressed me to eat. But considering I could only feed myself with my left hand, I begged to be excused upon the plea of having no appetite. "'It will return,' said she, "'if you would but discover what you so obstinately conceal from me. "'Your want of appetite, without doubt, "'is only owing to your irresolution.' "'Alas, madam,' returned I, "'I find I must resolve at last.' "'I had no sooner spoken than she filled me a cup full of wine, "'and offering it to me. "'Drink that,' said she, "'it will give you courage.' I reached out my left hand and took the cup. When I had taken the cup in my hand, I redoubled my tears and sighs. Why do you sigh and weep so bitterly? asked the lady. And why do you take the cup with your left hand rather than your right? Ah, oh, madam, I replied, I beseech you, excuse me. I have a swelling in my right hand. Let me see that swelling, said she, I will open it. I desired to be excused, alleging it was not ripe enough for such an operation, and drank off the cup, which was very large. The fumes of the wine, joined to my weakness and weariness, set me asleep, and I slept very soundly till morning. In the meantime, the lady, curious to know what ailed my right hand, lifted up my garment that covered it, "'and saw to her great astonishment that it was cut off "'and that I had brought it along with me wrapped up in a cloth. "'She presently apprehended what was my reason for declining a discovery, "'notwithstanding all her pressing solicitation, "'and passed the night in the greatest uneasiness on account of my disgrace, "'which she concluded had been occasioned only by the love I bore to her. "'When I awoke, I discerned by her countenance that she was extremely grieved. However, that she might not increase my uneasiness, she said not a word. She called for jelly-broth of fowl, which she had ordered to be prepared, and made me eat and drink to recruit my strength. After that, I offered to take leave of her, but she declared I should not go out of her doors. Though you tell me nothing of the matter, said she, I am persuaded I am the cause of the misfortune that has befallen you. The grief that I feel on that account will soon end my days, but before I die, I must execute a design for your benefit. She had no sooner spoken than she called for a judge and witnesses and ordered a writing to be drawn up, putting me in possession of her whole property. After this was done and everybody dismissed, she opened a large trunk where lay all the purses i had given her from the commencement of our amour there they are all entire said she i have not touched one of them here is the key take it for all is yours after i had returned her thanks for her generosity and goodness what i have done for you said she is nothing i shall not be satisfied unless i die to show how much i love you i conjured her by all the powers of love to relinquish such a fatal resolution but all my remonstrances were ineffectual she was so afflicted to see me have but one hand that she sickened and died after five or six weeks illness after mourning for her death as long as was decent "'I took possession of all her property, "'a particular account of which she gave me before she died, "'and the corn you sold for me was part of it. "'What I have now told you,' said he, "'will plead my excuse for eating with my left hand. "'I am highly obliged to you "'for the trouble you have given yourself on my account. "'I can never sufficiently recompense your fidelity. "'Since I have still, thanks to God, a competent estate notwithstanding i have spent a great deal i beg you to accept of the sum now in your hand as a present from me i have besides a proposal to make to you as i am obliged on account of this fatal accident to quit cairo i am resolved never to return to it again if you choose to accompany me we will trade together as equal partners and share the profits I thanked the young man for the present he had made me, and I willingly embraced the proposal of travelling with him, assuring him that his interest should always be as dear to me as my own. We fixed a day for our departure, and accordingly entered upon our travels. We passed through Syria and Mesopotamia, travelled over Persia, and after stopping at several cities, came at last, sir, to your capital." some time after our arrival here the young man having formed a design of returning to persia and settling there we balanced our accounts and parted very good friends he went from hence and i sir continue here in your majesty's service this is the story i had to relate does not your majesty find it more surprising than that of the hunchback buffoon the sultan of Kasgar fell into a passion against the Christian merchant. "'Thou art a presumptuous fellow,' said he, "'to tell me a story so little worth hearing, "'and then to compare it to that of my jester. "'Canst thou flatter thyself so far as to believe "'that the trifling adventures of a young debauchee "'are more interesting than those of my jester? "'I will have you all four impaled,' to revenge his death. Hearing this, the purveyor prostrated himself at the sultan's feet. Sir, said he, I humbly beseech your majesty to suspend your wrath and hear my story, and if it appears to be more extraordinary than that of your jester, to pardon us. The sultan, having granted his request, the purveyor began thus. End of section 2